Today's scripture reading is taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Thanks, Kimberly, for reading scripture for us. And a very good morning. Uh, indeed, we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because He lives, we have a living hope. Uh, let's all pray together as we come to His Word. And may His Word speak to us this morning. Let's all pray. Gracious Father, we thank You indeed for Your Word. We pray that You would speak to us with power. We pray for Your Spirit to give faith. We pray that You would give us spiritual sight to see Your glory in the face of Your Son, that we might love Him, that we might trust Him, that we might find in Him all that we need for life. And we pray this in His name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like tunes or animation. You know, if you want a more grown-up term, cartoons don't always make uh, cartoon don't often make us cry, but you may tear up while watching the first 10 minutes of the cartoon up. Right? So if you've seen the cartoon, it's a really good, good one by Pixar. So the first 10 minutes of the cartoon tells the story of Ellie and Kyle, uh, beginning with how they meet first as kids and then have, they have a shared passion for adventure in exotic places. The two childhood sweethearts grow up and get married. They have a happy marriage but are devastated by news uh, that they are unable to have children. Still, they haven't lost their passion for adventure, and they begin saving up for their dream trip to a place called Paradise Falls. But as as you watch the sequence, life's circumstances keep getting in the way of their plans. And so time passes, and Ellie and Carl have now grown older, at an old age, And one day, Carl decides to surprise Ellie by buying plane tickets to Paradise Falls. But again, life gets in the way and Ellie falls sick. So their plans are shelved once again. And Ellie's health gets worse and worse. And then she passes away. And in the next scene, Carl returns home alone and then the screen fades to black. You know, this is not what you expect in a children's cartoon, right? Ten minutes of, you know, pretty sad life story. You know, ups, 
opening sequence has become a famous cultural milestone. Why? Because we don't expect children's cartoons to touch on the topic of death. You know, in fact, if you watch some other Pixar cartoons, they, they also deal with death. You know, for example, Coco, Onwards, Soul. You know, I know these cartoons because I have kids. <laughs> you know, all this is especially unusual because our culture doesn't like to think or talk about death. You know, unlike the ancient Greek philosophers who often reflected on the inevitability of their own mortality. You know, memento mori, you know, as the Latin saying goes, remember you must die. Memento mori. You know, in the 18th century, American philosopher and theologian Jonathan Edwards, he resolved to, quote, think much on all occasions of my own dying. You know, but times have changed, haven't they? You know, nowadays, if we talk about death to our friends or family, we would be considered morbid. Maybe our conversation might be even viewed as offensive. You know, death as a topic is taboo. You know, a, a cultural commentator observed that nowadays, uh, we talk about sex, but we don't talk about death. Whereas maybe 100 years ago, they didn't talk about sex, but they talked a lot about death. You know, we don't talk about death in polite company, and, but in his excellent book, Remember Death, Pastor Matthew McCulloch writes, the reality of death has been pushed to the margins of our experience. Every one of us still dies, but many of us don't have to think much about it. Now, that's an excellent book, by the way. So if you want to read a good book meditating on the reality of death, I highly recommend this, Remember Death by Matthew McCulloch. Yet death still casts a stubborn shadow over our lives. And we try to cope by relying on medicine, on money, on diet and exercise. And we try to soften death's blow with wishful consolations that our loved ones have, quote, gone to a better place. We try to come to terms with death by resigning ourselves to the brute fact that we all must eventually pass away. We tell ourselves death is a natural part of life. But if death is natural, then why does it still cause us so much grief and pain? Why do we fear death if it is a natural part of life? You know, the pandemic has brought death out of the shadows. And over the past two years, the daily updates on the number of COVID-related deaths constantly remind us of the fragility of life. You know, friends, I wonder if we think about our own death. What do we think about our own mortality? I put it to us that it isn't morbid to remember death. In fact, humbly facing our own mortality is a way to receive the promise of true life. You know, listen to McCulloch again. He says in his book, the more deeply we feel death's sting, the more consciously we will feel the gospel's healing power. The more carefully we number our days, the more joyfully we'll hear the de that death's days are numbered too. You know, for this reason, the Bible doesn't shy away from the topic of death. The Bible speaks very honestly about why we all must die, yet also holds out the hope of life to every one of us. 
Unless we face the problem of our own mortality, we will not see our need for a Saviour who died and rose to give us life. Now, who is this Saviour? And how does He rescue us from death? Now, our text from the Gospel of Mark confronts us with the puzzle of the empty tomb. So first, we'll look at the answer to the puzzle. Then we'll consider the hope for our problem. The answer to the puzzle and the hope for our problem. So first, the answer to the puzzle. Jesus has been raised. Our passage continues the story of several women who followed Jesus while he was alive and who witnessed his crucifixion. So if you look just a few verses up from our text, in chapter 15, verses 40 to 41, it says, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and the younger, James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So after Jesus' death, Mary Magdalene and Mary uh, see where he's buried, verse 47 in chapter 15. And Mark 16 begins with both women and the third, Salome, preparing to go to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body out of devotion to Him. Now, this was a sign of their love for Him. They wanted to prepare His body for burial. And then we can make several observations here. So first, contrary to the claims of some skeptics, Jesus didn't merely faint at the cross. Jesus truly died. You know, the Romans who carried out the execution, they made sure of that. It was customary in crucifixions that to ensure the death of those crucified, the soldiers would break the legs of the victims. You know, once they were unable to support their own weight as they hung on the cross, the victims would have trouble breathing and suffocate to death. But in Jesus' case, when the soldiers came round to him, they found that they did not have to break his legs because he was already dead. John's Gospel tells us that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear just to make sure that he was truly dead. Another observation we can make here is that the women were not expecting to find a resurrection. The fact that they came to carry out burial rites tells us that they expected to find Jesus' body in the tomb. These were not delusional women who, were halluc- who, who hallucinated the resurrection because they wanted so badly to see Jesus alive again. No, it was quite the opposite. They did not go to the tomb expecting a miracle, but they came to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Jesus died on a Friday, but because Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, the women can only visit the tomb on Sunday. And on the way there, it suddenly dawns on them that they have no way of rolling away the large stone covering the tomb's entrance. You know, they had prepared everything, and then they realized, oh, but we forgot. Who's going to roll away the stone? You know, and the women's inability makes the point that what happens here in this text is supernatural and divine. Now, this is not the work of humans. God must be the one who works. And to the women's surprise, they discover the stone has been rolled away. But an even greater shock awaits them. Upon entering the tomb, they see a young man 
sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now, he is an angel, and seeing this angelic figure, instead of Jesus' body, you can imagine their confusion, fills the women with alarm, with astonishment and fear. You know, what is going on? Where is Jesus' body? You know, again, some skeptics say that the disciples stole Jesus' body to make it look as though he rose from the dead. You know, but this would fail to explain why the disciples will later on be willing to suffer and give up their lives for the faith. You know, why die for what they know to be a lie if, if they really stole the body from the grave? You know, Charles Copson, who was jailed for his part in the infamous Watergate political scandal involving former U.S. President Richard Nixon, you know, this was some time ago in the 70s, you know, he said, I know the resurrection is a fact. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? You know, absolutely impossible. You know, why would the disciples be willing to die for a lie if they had stolen the body from the tomb? You know, what's more, hundreds of eyewitnesses later saw the risen Christ and the resurrection did not happen in a corner. The disciples didn't come up with the story of the empty tomb to prove the resurrection. Rather, it was the other way around. The empty tomb posed a perplexing puzzle to the disciples. You know, the empty tomb is not self-explanatory. The empty tomb can only be explained by divine revelation. We need to hear from God. Hearing God's Word is the only way we can make sense of the empty tomb. You know, therefore, in our text, you see how the angel delivers a message from God. He explains what's happened to the disciples. The angel explains what, happened, what, what has happened, and he says in verses 6 to 7, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, Jesus' body isn't there because God raised him from the grave. Because he is risen. And the women will not find the living among the dead. The angel says the crucified Christ is now the risen Christ. A, a great reversal has taken place. The one who died under a curse has been vindicated and exalted as God's righteous and obedient Son. Jesus, who was condemned to suffer a humiliating, excruciating death on the cross, has been resurrected. He died in shame, but he has been raised in glory. You know, in fact, this shouldn't have surprised Jesus' disciples. You know, we don't like to think or talk about our own mortality. But Jesus spoke repeatedly about his impending death and resurrection while he was alive. Now, this is his life's mission, to save sinners by dying. He came to die. He came to save sinners by dying on the cross and by rising from the dead. 
And Jesus predicted His death and resurrection not once, not twice, but three times in Mark's Gospel. In, in Mark chapter 8, he, it says, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And then again, in, in Mark 9, Jesus says He was teaching His disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill Him. And when He is killed, after three days, He will rise. And once more, in Mark 10, He began to tell them what was going to happen to Him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered up over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus' death and resurrection was no accident or coincidence. It happened according to God's plan. Whatever we see happening here is happening according to the way God intended for it to happen. All this is in God's sovereign control. As the angel says to the women, all these things have happened just as He told you, just as what Jesus has said. In fact, in, in chapter 14 in Mark's Gospel, Jesus said His disciples will scatter after His death, but He will gather them after His resurrection. In, in Mark 14, He says, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You know, another prediction of His death and resurrection, Mark 14. And the women are called to be eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection and to tell the other disciples about what has happened. You know, this is surprising because in that culture, women could not give evidence in court. You know, if the story of Jesus' resurrection had been made up, it wouldn't have made sense to have women as the first eyewitnesses. You know, this would undermine the story's credibility. So the only plausible explanation for, for the women being the first witnesses is that this is exactly as it happened. Nothing has been made up. You know, nowadays, scams are commonplace. You know, I'm, I'm sure many of us, even in this past week, have gotten phone calls from various, claiming to be from various ministries, asking for our personal information. Now, because scams are so common, and we, we need to protect ourselves. Now, one of the ways we protect ourselves is we've become a lot more skeptical. Now, we, we remind ourselves regularly that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, some think the simple folks in Jesus' day were more gullible. Therefore, they were more inclined to believe in something as incredible as an individual bodily resurrection. You know, but as we read the text, we find that this isn't the case. You know, these women were not gullible. Uh, the, their, their immediate response is not gullible, say, yes, yes, of course, but, but their immediate response is not trust, but terror. They are just as incredulous as we would be about Jesus' resurrection. You know, unable to make sense of the empty tomb, the women are overcome with fear. Right? Mark 
in, in verse 8, kind of ends on this rather cliffhanger note. Right? It says, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So instead of being eyewitnesses to tell others, they keep silent in fear and terror. Now, I think this open-ended ending in Mark's Gospel poses us the question, how will we respond to the empty tomb? This brings us to point number two, the hope for our problem. Jesus has been raised for us. You know, Mark, the writer of this Gospel, is very honest about the struggles and failures of the first disciples. Does this surprise us? Some of us may think that believing in Jesus is for maybe the religious or spiritual types, people with plenty of faith. But not so for these early followers of Jesus. They struggle to believe the resurrection. As one Christian writer puts it, this passage here, this is not the stuff of heroic epic. Mark's gospel focuses on the disciples' shortcomings. This is the story of weak and helpless men and women who need God's grace. they, They don't figure these things out on their own, but they need God's grace to open their hearts and their minds to the wonder of Jesus' resurrection. Friends, the The puzzle of the empty tomb shows us our need for the risen Savior. Jesus' resurrection is a reasonable historical fact that explains the empty tomb, but merely knowing the historicity of the resurrection isn't enough. It's not enough to simply know that, yeah, it's a fact, it's something that happened. That's not enough. We need to understand the, the significance and grasp the significance of the empty tomb for ourselves, for our very lives. You know, some of you may know that it's the 80th anniversary of the Japanese occupation of Singapore. You know, that happened in 1942. You know, I, I think that probably isn't a date that may resonate with a lot of us. It happened a long time ago. And, and the generation that lived through the war is passing away. I think fewer and fewer of us actually experienced the war. And for the rest of us, you know, the Japanese occupation all those years ago can seem like a distant event. We may say, yeah, it happened, but it has little relevance for our lives, little significance for our lives today. It's been relegated to an artifact of history. You know, so I went to the exhibition recently with uh, my family at the National Museum, and the purpose of that exhibition was to encourage Singaporeans to continually reflect on the significance of the wartime occupation, to to kind of think about how that event that happened so long ago still has significance for our lives today. For those of us doing national service, I I think they probably show you videos or or footage from the Japanese occupation to kind of make you, you I I think to stoke up feelings of uh, patriotism, want to defend our nation. So if, if, if if reflecting on the significance of a wartime occupation is important, how much more should we think about the significance of Jesus' resurrection? History's most important event. You know, besides knowing the what 
of the resurrection, we must grasp the why and the so what of the resurrection. You know, this matters to us today because it deals with our most basic problem, death. You know, I, I don't know some of you, but regardless of who you are or where you've come from, I can say one thing is certain, we all must die. That is our basic problem. But the good news is that Jesus has been raised, and not just raised as a historical fact, but Jesus has been raised for us. For us, if we trust in Him. Jesus has been raised for us to give us true hope. His resurrection guarantees our future. It transforms how we live in the present. This is why Easter is worth celebrating. Jesus' resurrection ushered in a new beginning. You know, Mark mentions the dawn of the first day of the week, verse 2. You know, that, that's a purposeful statement. So John, uh, Mark is not just simply describing the, the, the time. It's not just giving us a time stamp. But the first day of the week signals a fresh start, the beginning of the new creation. Now, why do we need a new creation? I think just look around. We see that this world is broken. You know, all around us, we see pain, suffering, violence, injustice, oppression. You know, we see this all around. We just read the papers and we know that this world is broken. You know, deep in our hearts, we long for everything to be put right. Things are not what they're supposed to be. And the Bible tells us that this is not how creation was first made. God created all things good. You know, we, men and women, were made in God's image to reflect the beauty of our God's, of our Creator's character. His love, His righteousness, His grace, His faithfulness. You know, God made every one of us for His own glory. and He made us to enjoy His good creation. But the first man, Adam, rebelled against God and took the rest of humanity down with him. You know, earlier on in the service, as we spoke the words of the catechism, you know, we realized that sin isn't just rule-breaking. You know, sin isn't just breaking an abstract law, but sin is a personal rejection of our Creator God, the one who made all things good, the one who made us to know Him, to love Him, and to enjoy Him. And because of Adam's sin, we all are fallen in sin. We've lived for ourselves instead of living for the one who made us for himself. And because we have forsaken the source of life, we face his judgment. And the consequence of sin is death. And friends, that's why we all have this basic problem, our own mortality. And our mortality you know, physical and spiritual, it's a grim reminder that all is not right with us. You know, friends, do you ever realize that death is unnatural? Death is not natural. Death is unnatural. It doesn't belong to God's good creation. I think that's why death causes us so much distress. It's a reminder to us that this is not natural. But God 
in His abundant love and amazing grace, sent His beloved Son to save sinners. Jesus, who is fully God, became fully man, and He lived the life that we should have lived, a life of perfect obedience to God. And at the cross, Jesus died the death that we should have died. But the grave could not hold Him, and on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. And His resurrection is the first of the new creation. God is making all things new. How do we know that? Because Christ is risen. That's the sign that the new creation has begun. Jesus' life means the death of death. Death's days are numbered because Christ is risen. Because Christ is risen, those of us who trust in Him, we need no longer fear death. And even though we will suffer in this present age, we can patiently endure our afflictions with a sure hope of glory. We can be confident that in all our trials, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And our risen Lord has gone ahead like a pioneer who goes ahead, who paves the way for us. Jesus has gone ahead to prepare our way so that those of us who trust Him can be assured of glory when He returns then we shall be raised with Him in glory, in new life. We shall enjoy Him forever in the new heavens and new earth. And in Christ, we have a living hope beyond the grave. So, Friends, what are we hoping in this morning? And will our hopes endure through life and death? Friends, do we long for a fresh start. You know, perhaps we've tried but failed time and again, leaving behind a trail of broken resolutions, broken promises, maybe even broken relationships and broken lives. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we are raised with Him to new life. Not something that we can do for ourselves, but Jesus is the one who gives us new life. And Jesus promises to transform us by the power of His resurrection life. His resurrection changes everything. And in Christ, we are made new to become more like our Savior. You know, we've seen a visible picture of that in baptism this morning. When we baptize an individual, this person is saying that they identify with Christ in His death Right? They, they come under the waters, they die together with Christ, and they are raised with Him. When they come out of the waters, they are raised with Him to new life. Friends, this is the hope that we have if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus sets us free to live for Him, no longer enslaved by the fear of death, no, no longer enslaved by our selfish, self-centered desires and fears. Jesus liberates us from the anxiety of having to maximize our life now because we know that there's something far more glorious that awaits us in the life to come. You know, we can o- overcome FOMO, the fear of missing out, because we are assured of a far more glorious future. 
Therefore, we can deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus today, certain that it will not be in vain. Friends, Jesus' resurrection signals a new beginning. It also shows us how God's grace overcomes our sin. And the women are to tell his disciples and Peter, you notice that in verse 7, that Jesus will meet them in Galilee. Now, why is Peter singled out for special mention in verse 7? Now, earlier on, Peter had boasted of how he would never leave Jesus. But after Jesus was arrested, Peter cracked under pressure and denied his Lord not once, not twice, but three times. After such a betrayal, can there be a way back for the traitorous Peter? Some of us may be wondering the same thing this morning. You know, it's Easter Sunday and some of us may be here at church for the only time this year or maybe the only time in many years. We may be thinking, have we disappointed or failed God so badly that there's no way back for us? Peter would have been wondering the same thing. I've denied, after such self-confident claims, I've denied Jesus three times. Can there be a way back for me? And even if Jesus takes me back, can I still be useful for His kingdom? You know, but here in, in the message that the angel delivers, there is assurance. You know, God assures Peter that he has been forgiven, that he has been restored. You know, Peter may have been faithless, but Jesus remains faithful. He is the merciful and compassionate Savior that all of us need. Jesus came to save not the strong, not the self-sufficient, not the self-righteous, but He came to save helpless, broken sinners. He came to save those who recognize that, yes, we have, fell, we have fallen far short of what God requires of us. He came to save those who acknowledge that, yes, we have disappointed God. We have grieved Him. We have turned aside from Him. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save the weak and wounded, the sick and sore. He came to save traitors like Peter. He came to save you and me if we put our faith in Him. Friends, don't let our sins keep us away from Christ. He died for guilty sinners like us. If you feel the weight of your sin, if, if God's placed you under conviction of sin, that's good news. Come to Him. That's a sign that He's working in your heart. Come to Him. Turn to Him. He died for sinners. He rose for sinners like us. He died to bear God's judgment so that we can be forgiven and brought back to God. And God raised Jesus from the dead so that we can be made right with God. If we trust in Christ alone to save us, His resurrection, friends, secures our salvation. That's the good news of Easter. He was raised for our justification. Because of this good news, the disciples were radically transformed from fear to faith. You know, if you read on in the New Testament, you find that Jesus regathered them for the mission of announcing the good news of living hope to all nations. 
and the disciples empowered by the resurrected Christ, they turned the world upside down by their willingness to speak and suffer, even to die for Jesus. They were willing to lay down their lives. Why? Because they knew that Christ can give them life. So friends, if Jesus has given us life, we can give away our lives because we know that we have life secure in Christ. The resurrection creates the church, a people who share in Christ's life, who share life together, and who make Christ known with our words as well as with how we live in the world and how we love one another. The world avoids thinking about death, but in Christ, we can remember death and we can give thanks for the empty tomb. Jesus, who was crucified, has been raised to give us life. and We can face our mortality without fear, for Christ has defeated death. Christ alone is our hope in life and death. And one day, Jesus will return in glory, and then He will wipe away all our tears, and death will be more. It doesn't belong to God's good creation. Death will be no more. Death, we shall exclaim on that day, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed.